Hey everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm Megan. And I'm Jackie. And today we are joined with Austin Suggs from Gospel Simplicity. Austin, could you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do? Um, yeah, some fun facts about you. Yeah, I'll let the audience determine if the facts are actually fun, but I, I can do my best <laughs> to, to say a little bit about me. So um, I guess I should start with I'm engaged to the most wonderful woman. Uh, so want to get that in there first. She's fantastic. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, that was recent. Um, but yeah, things that people might find more relevant uh, would be I run a YouTube channel and podcast called Gospel Simplicity, where we have conversations about the things that unite and divide us in the Christian tradition uh, with the goal of helping introduce people to the beautiful simplicity and transformative power of the gospel. I'll let people decide if we actually do that, but that's the goal. Um, I'm also a student. I study theology at Moody Bible Institute. And yeah, that's, I'm really not that fun of a person. I read a bunch of books. I talk about nerdy things with nerdy people on the internet. And for some reason, people have started watching it. But um, yeah, that, that's pretty much me. I love it. I love your YouTube channel, um, Gospel Simplicity. I don't even know how I, oh, I found it through Matt Frad. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, okay. yeah. That's great. Yeah. So I'm Catholic and obviously a lot of Catholics, you know, Matt Frad is a Catholic celeb. So <laughs> I was watching him and it was like five questions with a Protestant from a Catholic or whatever your video is called. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, and it's something similar that Megan and I do on our podcast. So how did you first get the idea to start Gospel Simplicity? Yeah. And just funny story about that video that you watched. Matt told me about that about like 30 minutes before I was set to interview him. So that was the biggest channel I'd ever been on at that point. And I had no prep to do it. And it was live. So that was... Uh, <laughs> a good time, a good learning experience. Um, but hey, I'm glad you found the channel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so how did Gospel Simplicity get started? Well, it began as a YouTube channel under the incredibly inspiring name of Austin Suggs and <laughs> eventually realized that wasn't very exciting. So I changed it. But uh, really the impetus for it was I had started teaching at my church and I really fell in love with it. I was teaching in a high school ministry and just got hooked on it. I loved communicating. And I was meeting with a pastor friend of mine who's kind of been a mentor to me. And I was just asking, you know, I love communicating. What, what can I do to get better at this? Like, what, what should I do if I want to be a pastor and all these things? And his advice was, you know, just keep fighting for at-bats. Get as many speaking opportunities as you can. And I went away thinking, okay, that's good advice. And then I sat there for a moment and thought, you know, I do like freelance wedding stuff. I, I know how to edit video. I've got plenty of equipment like, I don't, I don't need to wait for anyone to give me a platform. I can set up a tripod in my basement and start talking to a camera and get speaking practice that way. So that was one of the main drivers at the beginning was I have all these ideas going through my head. I want to get better at communicating them. So I should just try doing it. Um, and then the other thing was this conviction uh, that I talk about today still that, you know, one of the central convictions of my channel is that the gospel is really good news. And I found that so many people weren't talking about it in that way, that it was a problem to be solved or different things. And I respect all of that, but I just wanted to like share what I thought was really important and wanted to see talked about more. And so I started doing that and I didn't have a ton of direction for the channel. So it's probably not a surprise that it took a long time for it to get anywhere. Um, but 
I was just making lots of videos and trying to learn how to communicate better. Eventually renamed it Gospel Simplicity and then fell into this wonderful world of ecumenical dialogue uh, where the channel is today. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was something that both Jackie and I were drawn to when we were listening and watching our channel. And, you know, just because it's kind of a theme of our podcast that comes naturally just because Jackie is Catholic and I'm Protestant. Um, but ecumenism is kind of a big word. So how would you define that? What's a, what's a good definition of that? Yeah, I would say that ecumenism is the pursuit. Well, I'll talk about it specifically among Christians because it can be used uh, as like interfaith or within Christianity. Uh, what I do is mainly within Christianity. So I would define ecumenism as pursuing the visible manifestation of our reality of uh, being united in Christ. So we all confess that the church is one and that those who are joined to Jesus are in some sense all one, but we're living in contradiction to that with the division within our churches. And so I would say that ecumenism is that pursuit of the church being what the church ought to be, uh, visibly one as Jesus prayed for it in John 17. So that would probably be my definition. Yeah. And I definitely think your channel exemplifies that because you have people from all different faith traditions respectfully talking with each other about your beliefs and how you disagree. And as you've done this, what are the different responsive, responses you've received as you interact with people across these different Christian traditions? Yeah. That really just depends on how much time you have. <laughs> no, the responses have been super varied, but by and large, it's been really positive and that's been really encouraging. A lot of people have responded, especially I've noticed a lot of Catholics have just come out and said, like, thank you for uh, treating our tradition fairly and being respectful. That that hasn't been their experience with a lot of Protestants, which really breaks my heart because I think as Christians, like we, we can and should do better. Not that these issues are unimportant, um, but we don't want to caricature anyone's belief. And especially when we have so much in common, it's such a shame, all of just the vitriol that's thrown back and forth. And so th that's some of my favorite uh, reactions to the videos of just being encouraged by seeing uh, just people sit down and have honest, real conversations and be able to disagree charitably. Uh, so, so that's been really encouraging. And I've heard people let me know that uh, they, they give me a heads up that I'm going to hell and a heretic. So that's always, uh, that's always oh. good to know, but um, you know, it's oh, YouTube. That's, fun. that's the cost of doing business, but no, I would say by and large, it's, it's been really positive. People have enjoyed it. And I had no idea there was so much interest in these conversations, um, but I've become fascinated by it and just really grateful to get to be a part of the community. Like I would listen to the conversations I'm having if I wasn't the one hosting them, not because, I'm anything great, but because the guests are so good. Like I would do these conversations if no one listened. Um, but the fact that people listen to it and are enjoying it makes it really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm also just really encouraged by an overall positive response because yeah, I think you're so right. There are so many things that we do have in common. And I think sometimes we get distracted from those commonalities. Like we all, we worship the same God, and yes, we have a lot of disagreement and there's confusion, but at the end of the day, like we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think sometimes that's lost. And so I think it's just encouraging to kind of see, you know, that unity there. Um, but with that being said, <laughs> there are obviously a lot of differences. Um, 
And I know as, as Protestants, we see this all the time with different doctrinal differences or kind of become splits and denominations form. So kind of as you've just experienced talking with different people with a lot of disagreements, where do you see doctrinal differences becoming issues that require division? Yeah, that's a great question. And one I'm fearful I won't do a full justice to, but I, I will do my best. And so I think in the state that we find ourselves in, in a divided church, it becomes easier to continue dividing because, well, that's where we're at. And the more something happens, the less it feels that significant. So I imagine, you know, at the, in 1054, when the East and West split, that felt huge. Now, when, you know, we create a new Baptist denomination, it feel the the impact is lost on us. Um, and, and so there's, we're definitely historically conditioned, I think, to not feel the weight of it as much. But I think as much as possible, we always want to avoid division because we're called to unity. But of course, it becomes those questions of what what is worth dividing over, like you asked. I like to divide things between first order and second order issues or between dogma, doctrine, and opinion. Um, Again, the response is going to be, okay, but how? Um, but so in the level of dogma, like I would consider, you know, if you can confess the Nicene Creed, which has been like a great symbol of the Christian faith since, you know, 325 or updated in 381, um, I, I would consider that like first level dogma. Um, and of course, if someone is going to deny that, I think it's probably worth splitting over that. Okay, this is what the church has agreed on for so long. Um, if if we don't think that, uh, you know, the son is also God, if we were not Trinitarian, that's that's probably worth dividing over and having a, a really serious issue about. Uh, but then we get to those doctrinal differences, which are really important, but people might have disagreements on. So this could be in your theology of sacraments or ordinances. And if you, for instance, say you believe in uh, credo baptism or only baptizing adults, or people making a public uh, profession of faith, and your church uh, believes in infant baptism, those are mutually exclusive opinions, mm -hmm. or opinion might sound belittling to it. Uh, they're mutually exclusive views. And so at some point, I think it's difficult to really run a church when you're dividing over things as important as baptism, like a, a central right of the Christian faith. So at that point, I think, and, you know, as a Protestant, I would say, okay, yeah, like the, that's probably something worth dividing over, but I would stress that both sides can still see one another as Christians there. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think a Baptist should be looking at a Presbyterian or an Anglican and saying, hey, you're not my brother in Christ. But I do see how they would say it wouldn't be very functional for us to coexist in the same church when we have differences on such an important thing as baptism. Then you might get into that, that third level of opinion of maybe the ordering of the end times or, um, that, you know, that, that's one people use often, um, different things like that. I, I don't think you need to divide a church over that. I think we should always be really hesitant to divide um, on things like that, that. That's, those things are important. I think all of theology is important, but we can move things away from, you know, entrance into the faith, like baptism or, you know, Trinitarian beliefs. You're, you're getting further and further away as you get to something like ordering of the end times. Um, so I, I struggle to do that question justice, but hopefully that starts to get at it. Yeah, yeah, I, I would echo that. And 
I think kind of what you're pointing out is there's a distinction between like ecclesiology of like how a church functions versus, you know, something like creation. Like there's people who believe in like literal seven day creation and there's older believers. It's like, and that was something that I've seen people split over. And, and I would say a lot of times when we see in the, in the new Testament, Paul reprimanding churches for having splits, I think it's over a lot of things like that. It's over. Yeah. These are important issues and, and these are strong opinions, but at the end of the day, it's distracting us from our gospel mission from fulfilling the great commission. And so I think that's, it's good to make those distinctions, not to belittle different beliefs, but to point out that there are, there are things that make us brothers and sisters in Christ. And then there are disagreements we can have and families have disagreements all the time and that's, they're still family. (laughs) Yeah. That that's a really good way of putting it. And I think it comes to, can the church continue to function with these differences? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think a church can function with people having differences of views on creation, mm-hmm. but it's going to be difficult to continue to function if you think you can only baptize uh, adults and people want to have their infants baptized. That's that's going to be difficult to continue to function in a meaningful way. Um, and so I would say something like that might be where a dividing line uh, could be one way of characterizing it. Yeah. So as you've kind of navigated a lot of these topics, where have you kind of seen people misunderstand what it means, you know, to be unified and ecumenical? And, you know, when have you seen this happening? What has that looked like? Yeah, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings and not because you know, people are dumb, but just because this is an unfamiliar territory for a lot of people. And I think oftentimes we just talk past each other in these things that there's not um, sufficient listening happening, that a lot of times people want to get their point in um, and it struggles to really have people not only talk to one another, but actually be heard. But I guess I would maybe put it on a spectrum. So on one side, I would talk about what I would call like lowest common denominator unity. And I think that can be unhelpful. And I would say that is where we just kind of avoid the difficulties and we just try to find ways to say things that we can both agree to, even though they're not getting at the differences. Mm -hmm. Um, So an example of this might be to say, for instance, a a Christian and a Muslim, well, they more or less agree because they both believe in God. Well, that's clearly intent. I would say that's, that's, um, sidestepping all the difficulties between there of the the differences that you have and so just seeking well yeah we both say these things so we must more or less agree um i I would say that's one danger of misunderstanding ecumenism of trying to get rid of doctrine or that ecumenism just leads to um a sense of pluralism i would say those things are distinct on the other hand i would say that some people um pope benedict the 16th actually talked about this as maximum demand solutions to ecumenism and what he means by this and it was in the context of uh, i believe talking about east and west and uh, reunion there of simply saying they have to become me in order for we us to have any meaningful unity so for the orthodox uh yeah we could have unity if catholics just ceased being catholic they got rid of the pope they got rid of any of their distinctive beliefs and that's how we could be united anything short of that is not going to work that's what we would call like a maximum demand uh where you're recognizing 
for me, I think that's, that's maybe going a little too far. And likewise to say that you just have to become Catholic, even in the smallest of things, um, on things where you could have, you know, on those maybe third level issues. Um, I, I don't think that's going to work and just telling people that the only way to pursue unity is for you to um, just have complete uniformity with me. I would also say I sometimes run into in certain circles people um, specifically sp specifically uh, in orthodox circles of referring to ecumenism as the pa heresy, the thing that's going to lead to all relativism and that we should just completely shut ourselves out because any outside input could lead to doctrinal, um, what's the word for it, uh, that you're going to essentially cave in and give in to pressures. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say all Orthodox have that opinion, and I don't want to mischaracterize, um, but I think that's probably on the extreme as well of thinking that simply dialoguing about these things is going to lead to doctrinal compromise. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I come from a super Catholic upbringing and university, Franciscan University. I'm sure oh, yeah. you've heard of it at this point from <laughs> all of the Catholics that you interview. I had Scott Hahn as a professor and I've met Sweet. Matt Frad. Matt Frad doesn't remember me, but I did meet him, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but I came from just a super Catholic environment. I never had to have these conversations with Protestants. And then when I came to Chicago, I worked at an organization where it was all Protestants. I was the only Catholic. And I was like terrified going into it. I was like, I don't want to have these conversations. It's so uncomfortable. But what it's helped me do is to break down those caricatures I have of the other side. At Franciscan, I would think of the belief of like sola scriptura, which I still don't think is true, but I used to think that's so stupid. How could anyone think that? Like, because all I was getting was the Catholic opinion and now talking to Megan and then watching your videos, I'm like, uh, no, there's definitely more to this very intelligent and wise and faithful people believe in this. So obviously it's not just, oh, that's a dumb opinion. <laughs> and I think Megan's experienced the same thing as like having this conversations. It hasn't changed my beliefs like i'm still catholic but i have such a greater respect and also understanding of why people have other beliefs and how they're still like very faithful intelligent christians and i broke down a lot of the caricatures i know that i definitely had about protestants so i think people miss out a lot by being afraid to have these conversations mm -hmm. respectfully and really listen and hear the best arguments from the other side what a beautiful story. Yeah, that's so well said. Getting to engage in these conversations is really when those characters begin to break down because you're not just thinking about uh, these abstract ideas, but you're thinking about actual people that hold them. And I love what you mentioned about going from, hey, you know, throughout that, you still think Protestants are wrong, but it's not that they're wrong because they're dumb. Mm -hmm. And that, that might be sound like a, a um, I don't know, harsh or characterization, but I, that's what I want people to experience of, you can still think these people are wrong and that's fine. People can think I'm wrong, but I love when people say, Hey, at least now I can say like, these people have reasons. It's not just that they're either ignorant or they're just refusing to believe the truth. They they're seeing this different than me. Mm -hmm. I still think they're wrong for X, Y, or Z reason, but man, I have more of an appreciation for where they come from. I think that's such a huge step. And to the extent that my channel can help people do that, I'm really excited. So to kind of put you on the spotlight, what were some maybe misconceptions you had about Catholics that you've kind of now from talking with people and just kind of going through this uh, learned are not true? Yeah, a lot of them. 
And it's ironic that growing up in a state literally named after Mary, Mary land, I didn't know any <laughs> faithful Catholics growing up. Um, and so for me, I, you know, I didn't think Catholics were bad, but I just knew the only Catholics I knew were like neighborhood friends or family friends who, uh, they, they went to confirmation for the sole purpose of they knew that some of their family members would send them money when they were finished with it, but they were bored to tears the whole time and they didn't really think of it. They would go to mass Christmas and Easter. And that was about it. That's what being Catholic was for them. And so in my mind, Catholicism, it was just, it wasn't bad, but it was just unfortunate that people were being misled and they only, you know, had this ritualistic faith and they didn't read their Bible, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't have this like, dynamic personal relationship that we talked about. And for me, I was just kind of like, man, that's too bad. But I'm sure if I could point to a couple Bible verses and they cared, like they would see, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I'll become Protestant. Thank you so much for changing my <laughs> life. Um, and then I realized uh, that that's not the case for all Catholics. And the, <laughs> the way this originally happened, which was actually the first video that kind of got me into all of this, was I went to a Catholic Bible study with my uncle for several months. It was like a Catholic men's program. And that was the first time I met passionate Catholics and Catholics that loved the Bible and knew the Bible and read it and um, were passionate about their faith and had this relationship with Jesus. And it was certainly not just empty rituals for them. And I had to realize at that point, like, oh, wow, there's more to this than I thought. This isn't just some dead church. There, there is life here. And at the very least, there's passionate Christians here, which again, I just didn't put together with Catholicism. So that was really the first stepping stone. And then later on through my YouTube channel and people like uh, Matt Frad and others, I kind of got introduced to the intellectual side of Catholicism and I say, oh, like, wow, they, there's people thinking about these questions and they have good answers to them. And so, yeah, the caricature that Catholics don't read their Bible, that they don't have any sense of like, uh, religious passion to them that all Catholics are just nominal Catholics or that if you showed most Catholics a couple Bible verses, they become Protestant and uh, that would be that. Uh, I think those are all caricatures that were uh, righted for me and I'm, I'm glad they were. Yeah, I love that. I feel like I've had a very similar experience, as I said, but with the other side, I thought like, oh, I'm going to tell these Protestants I'm working with, like, oh, why I believe this and this. And like a little part of you is like, oh, surely they're going to change their mind. Like one of my friends that I met there and uh, no, she's still Protestant, not a friend that's Megan, different friend that I worked uh, with okay. before. <laughs> Megan is also still Protestant. Um, <laughs> but you think like, oh, you can point out a few verses and you're like, surely they're going to see that I'm right and that they just didn't see this before. And it's like, uh, kind of foolish because people have been disagreeing and studying these things for years, people much more intelligent than I am, and they still don't agree. Um, but yeah, it's just funny how we can all kind of think that going into it. Um, I'm, sure Me I'm sure Megan can speak to that as well. Yeah, I mean, so I, <laughs> I grew up in very, this is not to bash anyone. I hope people hearing this don't think I'm bashing anyone. I grew up in a very hyper reformed circles. So like, as Calvinist as you could possibly be, um, tulip, all of that. Um, but I personally had friends who were Catholic. And so I was very just like middle ground, like whatever. Um, but I had friends who would like berate me 
for being friends with Catholics and tell me like, oh, like you should be evangelizing to them. And I was like, no, like they, they know who God is. And, and I would have friends tell them that like they were going to hell. And so it was something I was always like aware of, like, oh, there's this kind of awkward tension. And, and part of it could be growing up in Wisconsin, which is very uh, German. So everybody's either very Catholic or very Lutheran. Um, but yeah, it was kind of something where I just kind of always had a little bit of familiarity with. And so I think I reacted in the way of just being like, you know what, I'm just not going to like really go into that. Like, I'm not going to interact or, you know, just because it, it seems too messy. It seems too like complicated and scary. Um, and so it wasn't until I met Jackie when I was like, oh, this is actually, it can be fun to like interact with these differences and to go back and forth and really learn about them. Um, and I, I regret not like having more dynamic conversations with a lot of those Catholic friends growing up and avoiding those because I think I could have learned a lot more a lot sooner. So yeah, if you're listening and you have a friend who is different than you, you should talk with them because it's, you can learn a lot about them from hearing it from themselves, not someone else. Yeah, absolutely. That's such good advice. And if someone walks away from this podcast doing that, what a, what a great win. That would be such a, a great thing to happen. Um, maybe this is putting you on the spot a little bit, but as <laughs> a Catholic, I want to ask, like, as you've been having all these conversations with Catholics, um, and we've actually only really had Catholics come on and talk about their conversion from Protestantism to Catholicism on our podcast so far. So this is the chance for <laughs> us to have a Protestant on saying <laughs> as of like why you are not going to become Catholic? Like, what do you still disagree with that maybe you understand now more and maybe in respect, but you're like, no, I still don't believe that. And I think that I'm like, my tradition is right on this. Yeah. I'm happy to answer those questions. I, I volunteered myself to get into this space. Uh, <laughs> still wondering whether that was, uh, you know, and bravery or folly, but time will tell. Um, so my objections to Catholicism or what keeps me from being Catholic. Early on in investigating Catholicism, I made a claim that sometimes I wonder if it's going to haunt me or not, but I still stand by it, that this really all rises and falls on the papacy, that if someone convinces me of the validity of the papacy, I can't in good faith continue to be a Protestant because that's kind of the first domino or at least the most important one that then secures the subsequent doctrines. I don't see how it would be logically coherent to believe in papal infallibility and also think the Catholic Church is wrong. Um, so with that being said, seeing that I'm not Catholic, that would be the thing that I haven't been convinced of, not to say there aren't others. Um, I've gotten so much more respect for the Catholic position on the papacy. I would have said before, like, clearly just read the new Testament and I don't see a Pope in there. What's the problem? Case closed. Um, then, then I learned my ignorance and tried to repent of my sins um, and realized that the arguments are a lot better than that. And I should uh, educate myself. Um, luckily I didn't say many of these things on camera. I'm so glad people didn't ask me about Catholicism earlier on. Um, but yeah, I would say I haven't been convinced of the scriptural and historical arguments for the papacy, despite thinking, despite realizing they're a lot better than I thought they were. Um, and I mean, I could get into that a little if you'd like, but I'd say, so the papacy is a big one. Um, 
I also find the Protestant doctrine of justification to be more biblically compelling. Um, and I'll, I'll say I've done less historical research on that. I've got Alistair McGrath's Eustitia Day staring at me in front of me right now, but I have yet <laughs> to open it. Um, and so it's a complex topic, but I, I struggle not to sound like maybe the hyper-reformed people that Megan grow, grew up with. But I, I struggle to read, uh, say, like Romans and get to a Catholic doctrine of justification, which I know is like the most Protestant thing to do is to go straight to Romans and talk about justification. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say like those are probably the, the biggest things for me. But I'll say if I was convinced of the papacy, I could see how I could rethink the doctrine of justification. I, I mean, I think I would have to and I could figure that out. There's other things, but those are the, the first that come to mind. So I know a lot of people, if they're involved in these conversations, I feel like this question comes to mind of like, what would it take for Protestants to join Catholics? Or what would it take for Catholics to join Protestants? And do you see a lot of that riding on like the issue of papal infallibility? I think so. Because, well, it, it's nuanced, I guess. But for, for Catholics, like if you if you look at ecumenical dialogues uh, that came out of Vatican II, or if you look at, at Pope John Paul II was like the, the hero of ecumenism and kind of made it like one of the, the hallmarks of his pontificate to promote Christian unity. The, the thing that keeps coming up is, hey, we're able to make these agreements, but ultimately what, from the Catholic standpoint, what needs to happen is full visible unity, which entails coming under the um, supervision of the Bishop of Rome, the Pope. And so I, I think it's difficult to see a, like a full-fledged unity without uh, somehow coming to terms on the doctrine of the papacy. I think it's the most distinctive Catholic doctrine. And it's also, I, I've heard Catholics describe it well as uh, the, the stumbling block and the cornerstone. So it's the thing that's most difficult for people to accept, but it's also the thing that really secures everything else that if you can get agreement here, well, then like everything else should follow. For instance, in the 90s, there was an ecumenical dialogue between Catholics and Lutherans, which seemed like it was like groundbreaking. They came to agreement on the doctrine of justification on the joint uh, declaration on the Do doctrine of justification signed in 1999. And you would think that would be like a watershed moment. So we're just like a couple of steps away from Lutherans and Catholics saying like singing Kumbaya and becoming uh, one church. But nothing's really happened since then. However, I don't think you could do that with something like the papacy. If you came to agreement on uh, the infallibility and the supremacy of the Bishop of Rome, I just think it would be dishonest to not say, okay, like we, we need to become Catholic. Now, for Catholics to become Protestant, I guess it would be a, a little different. And Protestants, part of the Protestant DNA from the very beginning is a higher acceptance of um, visible division that it doesn't keep most Protestants up at night that, you know, there's a Baptist church down the street and a Presbyterian one and a Lutheran one. Yeah. You know, it'd be better if there weren't, but like that's, that's just become the status quo for Protestants. Whereas that's not really an acceptable, uh, state, I think for Catholicism. And so I think for Protestants, there would just need to be, well, it would be difficult because it's difficult to achieve unity with all of them. Um, but I think the bar would be different. Yeah, for sure. The papacy, I know, um, 
So through your channel, I discovered Dr. Gavin Ortland, who I am the biggest fan of, which is so funny because a lot of his videos make, I'm like, mm, I still disagree, but also I'm your biggest fan. Um, Nicest guy. <laughs> I mean, he's fan. such a nice guy, but I mean, he made the video on the papacy and it was the first time, which is what I just respect about him so much that no one caricatured the papacy, what it is, a Protestant, whether like you think everything he says is true. And I'm like, mm, uh, no, not actually. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know the answer to these questions. I don't know how to answer this. And it was like, uh, my faith a little bit was shook. I wasn't really, it was shaken a little bit. And I was like, if I can't accept the papacy, if this is wrong, then I can't be Catholic, like from my side. So of course I had to research it more. I went to my spiritual director and I've come to settle now. And I do believe in the papacy, which is why I'm still Catholic. Um, but that really is the cornerstone belief. And um, yeah, why I just respect um, these really intelligent Protestants that will attack this because it, first of all, it makes me, uh, have to look into my beliefs more and really be able to justify them and believe in them. Um, but I totally agree. I think the papacy is the biggest thing for why we can't come together. I think right now, yeah. which is yeah. funny because it was kind of the first split <laughs> between the East and West, you know, oh, it's kind yeah. of been an issue since the beginning. Yeah, it, I mean, it's definitely the most distinctive Catholic doctrine. And I will say that, um, speaking of Pope John Paul II again, like he, he did make uh, an appeal of how how can we, so we can't get rid of the doctrine of the papacy, but are there ways that we could formulate it that would be more amenable, specifically to the Orthodox? Because uh, I think Catholics and Orthodox are closer than Protestants and yeah. uh, Catholics in, in a lot of ways. Um and, and so there, there's willingness to to talk about these things, but it it's not a doctrine that can be glanced over or set aside, and it's, it can't change uh, wholesale. Um, so it, it's definitely a tough one. But I will say, to give credit to Catholicism, I like the idea of a pope. Like I think that is a beautiful thing if true, um, and and hopefully people understand what I mean by that. Um, that yeah like it would it would be a great thing to have a, a vicar of christ on earth who could infallibly protect the church in you know his uh ex cathedra statements uh on faith and morals I, I think that's a great thing and so um i i don't think protestants need to be scared of it uh just off the bat that they shouldn't be so wary of it that they can't even look into it or just dismiss it offhand um it's something worth careful study and it's something that I think we should look into um, and then make an informed opinion on. And I, yeah, I commend the work of Dr. Ortland in, in, that, uh, in that sector. You guys should totally have him on your show, by the way. That's our dream. That's hope. <laughs> I will text him after we get off of this. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. that's <laughs> our dream. Megan and I at work. We work together all the time. We watch your videos and then uh, Gavin's videos, Dr. Ortland's videos, and we both joined his Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, yeah. Him and I are both patrons of each other's show. Uh, same with Keith Little. Uh, we're all we're all good friends. So, um, yeah, he's a super super great guy, and I think he would really like what you guys are doing. It was yeah. funny too because I was like, oh yeah, Gavin Ortland, and I was like, man, that name sounds so familiar. And then it was only like months later that I was like. Dane Ortland, Ray Ortland, like, oh, of course, like, I know who these people are. So yeah. Yeah, Super just low-key famous uh, <laughs> family that you have to have a PhD and write books to be a member of. 
So, yeah. So as we're kind of talking about just the fact that we are brothers and sisters in a family with many differences, how would you personally respond if you were interacting with a Protestant who was rejecting the legitimacy of a Catholic's faith, a sincere Catholic, and vice versa, a Catholic who was rejecting the legitimacy of a sincere Protestant's faith? Yeah, and this happens a lot, and I find this happening even at Moody. I've become the uh, the, the Catholic guy on campus, as people sometimes refer to me, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> but pe people want to talk about these things, and the first piece of advice I would give people in that situation is to listen more than they talk. So just to hear why why do you hold this opinion, and to ask questions that don't seem threatening, but but be genuinely curious, like oh, like, that's really interesting that you think that. Can you explain that to me a little bit? Like, what, what is it about them that you think doesn't make them Christians? And my guess would be that the majority of the time, uh, it would stem from misunderstandings and caricatures. And so I would probably try if, for instance, they say, oh, you know, I Catholics aren't Christians because they uh, they worship statues. I would say, oh, like that's really interesting. Like, are you are you familiar with the like Catholic distinction between uh, like Dulia and Latria, or like have you looked into that? And like, do you just not think it's sound, or have you not heard of that? And my guess would be that they haven't heard of that, which is fine. Like, I don't expect everyone to have this as their side hobby. Um, I would just encourage them like, oh, like maybe like, let's look into that and let's see, because certainly we like, you don't want to mischaracterize Catholics, right? Like I, I know that about you, you, you want to be fair. And so maybe this is something worth looking into or be like, Hey, have you ever like read the catechism of the Catholic church? You might disagree with some of it, but you should try it and just see and learn a little bit more about it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people will probably just say like, oh no, I know, like they're wrong. I don't need to look at it. And in that case, um, I probably smile and say, well, um, I hope you have a wonderful day. And if you change your <laughs> mind, I, I think you'll really enjoy looking into it. Uh, and, and that goes for both sides. But uh -huh. I, yeah, I would start with listening. I would ask questions, try to correct caricatures and just encourage them to maybe expand uh, their thought, I'd probably ask them, like, do you know many Catholics personally? Have you talked to them about their faith? And sometimes it might stem from that. Maybe they had a bad experience with a Catholic or, or the church. Um, but I think asking these questions, seeing where it's coming from, and uh, I think that will solve a lot of those situations. Now, it, people who maybe are more doctrinally inclined and still hold those opinions, um, I think you could have a conversation about that maybe on a different level. And I think one important question to ask is, well, what, what makes a, someone a Christian? And then um, if it's that they have to hold like to the Protestant solas, I, I might challenge them and ask them, okay, like, so do you think these have been believed, you know, throughout all of church history? And because I, I don't think anyone wants to hold the position, though some do, that like no one was saved for long swaths of time. Um, and so I, I'd probably try to have it just understand their beliefs more and probably slowly try to just see what they're saying. But ultimately, um, I would disagree with that opinion that Catholics aren't Christians uh, or vice versa. And I, I would hope to be able to have a fruitful conversation about it. Yeah, I think in my own personal experience, too, because um, I've run into this when I will like tell my Protestant friends where I work, they'll be like, oh, whoa, you work with Catholics as, as if it's novel or something. And I'll be like, yeah. 
And they'll be like, do you ever talk about, like, Mary and stuff? Um, I'll be like, yeah, all the time. No. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I think, honestly, just a lot of people, you know, not everybody interacts in the same way um, or has had that opportunity. And so, yeah, I think questions can be a a great way to start. Yeah, I, I agree. Megan and I do talk about Mary all the time. (laughs) It's a fascinating subject. I'm probably the most like Marian, not Marian Catholic. That sounds like I'm like Mary and very virtuous, which not even that close yet. But I have a huge devotion. I have like a Marian tattoo and all this stuff. So uh, yeah, it's pretty real for me. So it's really funny when Megan and I talk about this because we clearly like very much disagree on our beliefs about Mary. We did an episode on that, but I think that was another episode where we could understand each other better on why we believe what we believe about Mary respectfully. Um, I don't know if that was Megan's experience, but yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. I love that you guys are having those conversations. That's really neat. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up here, um, this is like a, a really small small question but do you ever see a union of all (laughs) different christian traditions on this side of heaven why or why not yeah what a small question what a very (laughs) very small question um actually i I think my answer might be fairly small i think that maintaining at least a hope even if it's a distant hope in that possibility is necessary to continue in the work of ecumenism. I think absent any hope that that could be a possibility, people are going to get pretty discouraged. Now, I also recognize that people might say like, that's incredibly naive to think that would happen. We're 500 years into the schism in the West and over, or yeah, no, nearly a thousand years into the schism between uh, the East and the West. You really think this is gonna happen. And I get that. Like, there's definitely days where I'm like, yeah, this probably is never going to happen. But I do hold out hope for a couple of reasons. One, because I know that it's important to Christ that, you know, we we see him praying that the church would be one. And I do believe, again, I kind of hinted at this in my definition of ecumenism, that there is a sense in which we are one, right? Like all those, the church is Christ's body and all those who are saved are joined to Jesus. The New Testament talks about, you know, being in Christ. And so I think a, a church divided amongst itself is a, is a living contradiction that there, there's one church because Christ is one. And I think that because of that, we have to hold out hope that we could um, manifest the reality of the oneness of the church. Mm-hmm. Again, th- like the odds of that, like if this came down to like putting money on it, am I going to see it in my lifetime? I don't know, probably not going to happen soon, but I think it's important to at least hold out hope. I will say in in the meantime, I think that there's lower levels of ecumenism that maybe we could shoot for and um, might be more realistic. Again, it's going to define, it's going to depend on what we mean by church unity, if the church is going to be united. I think one really big step would be to have a table fellowship, as people might call it, or uh, being able to uh, join in the celebration of uh, specifically the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, together. I think we, you know, church fathers calling this a, a sacrament of unity, and Paul kind of talks about you know how there is one 
uh, bread in one cup and how it kind of unites the church. I think if we could reach a point where we can uh, partake of the Eucharist together, that would be a huge step towards reunion. Um, and I'm a little more hopeful about something like that than like a institutional unity. I think that's going to be difficult, um, but I recognize all of it's difficult, but I maintain hope. Yeah, I think that's a fair answer. And when my husband was at Moody, he took a class on the Reformation. And one, one thing that always stuck out to him was that the professor said, in order for us to have understanding, we have to read each other's books in front of the other. Ooh, and that was always great. really interesting to me. And it's something that I've even just found from my own experience with Jackie is you have to kind of dig through that person's beliefs with them in order to truly understand. Cause you, I can read books about Catholicism, even written by Catholics, like shut up in my room and totally create caricatures in my mind. But if I'm reading them or understanding them with Jackie, that's, entirely different there's going to be a whole different level of understanding and so i think what you're saying too you know it's like could there ever be an institutional unity who knows i think that's the beauty and the hope and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth but could there be understanding could there be um you know a community formed i think i think it's good to have hope and to strive for that yeah really well said well, thank you so much for coming on our show, Austin. And like we said before, we really, really respect what you're doing on your channel. And I think that even that and people watching those conversations is really creating a more unified um, environment amongst Christians and creating a lot more respect among people from different Christian traditions. And I know it's it's helped me. I know it's helped Megan. I know a lot of people. So yeah, thank you so much for your part in this as well. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm delighted that it's helping people. I um, often use the image of, I feel like I took just a few breadcrumbs and God has multiplied it to feed thousands in ways that I, I never honestly could have expected. It's been a wonderful journey. I'm so grateful to get to do it. And I'm always so excited to hear from people that are enjoying it. And so I really thank you guys for having me on. I thank you guys for the work that you're doing. I think that's awesome. I, I love the outlook of the show and I'm honored to uh, get to be here for an episode. Mm -hmm.